welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Executive Pastor Chris Valdez. Thank you, Pastor Darrell. Well, it is good to have them back home safe and sound. Well, before we go in, let's uh, open with a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that reveals your word and your truth to us as we seek it. Lord, your word says that whoever seeks uh, will find and whoever knocks the door will be open. And we pray that that will occur this morning by your Holy Spirit and that that truth will transform our lives and hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've got a question for you this morning. Have you ever found yourself in an awkward situation? We all have, haven't we, at some point? Have you ever been in a room with like three or more people, maybe even a large crowd, and in that group, uh, someone comes in and confronts another person in your presence? Isn't, that's one of those awkward situations, right? Uh, and everybody else who's not those two individuals stops making eye contact. You know, it's like, how do I get out of here? This is awkward. I don't want to be in this situation. What's going on? You know, how, how is this happening? And they're not fun situations to be in. It's not, uh, it's, it's not comfortable. Even if you're thinking, yes, everything they're saying is true about the other person, whatever they're confronting them on, it's still not a comfortable situation to be in. And that's where we find ourselves when we jump into Galatians 2. We're going to jump in at verse 11 this morning. I hope you had a chance to read the whole chapter, but if not, you can read it later. But we're going to start in Galatians 2, verse 11. It says, and this is Paul, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That sounds like language we would use today. Like, in your face, this is in your face. Or, and you would hear somebody else saying, oh no, he didn't. Kind of like a, 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 a gangster fight here about to start that, that Paul's just saying outright, I oppose Cephas to his face. And he's writing this letter, but he's showing how bold he was in his, in his assertion. And now he goes on to say, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. And by the way, the Gentiles is us. If you were not born a Jew, you are a Gentile. There's only two people and two nationalities on the face of the earth as far as God is concerned. Jew and Gentile. Everybody else is a Gentile. So he said before certain men came from James, and these would be Jews, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all in the middle of the group, he stood up and called him out. And he said, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, and he's referring to the fact that he was eating with them before these other guys showed up. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And as bold and straightforward as this may sound, Paul is not blindsiding these guys. He's not just coming out of left field with this statement. They should have known better. This issue had already been discussed and decided. You you don't have to turn there, but you'll see on the screen. We're going to look real quickly at Acts chapter 15. 
it says, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, and these are supposed to be Jews who have accepted Christ, but they're still of the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, and the them is Gentiles, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. They're talking about Gentiles. that They have to be circumcised. They have to follow the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Verse 8, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Yes, there's the Jews. And he made no distinction, none, between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 10, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So Peter's saying, not only are you trying to put this on them, we haven't been able to do this. We've been trying for thousands of years to follow God's law, and we keep messing it up. And now you're trying to say they have to come under our law and follow our law to be justified. But he said, God hasn't required it of them. Why are you? Verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Jew and Gentile alike saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. So it had clearly been decided. Gentiles were not required to be circumcised. They were not required to follow the ritualistic laws of Moses in order to be saved or justified. But here comes Cephas eating in the presence of the Gentiles, not having any problem with them until these other guys walk in the room. And he says, oh, this is going to look bad and pushes away from the table and goes, hangs out with his Jewish friends. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to associate with you guys anymore. And so Paul is seeing this as a matter of the heart. And he's saying, your heart is misplaced. You are changing the gospel. And two weeks ago, that's what we, we were talking about that. We didn't get into full detail, but this is what Paul's talking about. You're trying to change it. You're trying to require something that's not part of it. And that makes it no gospel at all. Now let's jump back to Galatians 2, verse 15. He says, we ourselves, and this is Paul talking, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now they're throwing that on the end. We're not just Gentiles, we're Gentile sinners. But listen to verse 16. We, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, you will not be justified by the works of the law. Only by what Jesus Christ did on the cross can we be justified. Everything else comes after that. Look at verse 17. But if in order, if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself 
to be a transgressor. So I want to point out something real quick in what he's saying that Christ being a minister of sin. I used to think that Paul was referring to like if I had this sin in my life and Christ saved me from that and I had turned away and now I turn back and make do that sin again. That's what he's talking about. That's not what he was talking about. In this context, he was talking about the Jewish culture and the law of Moses and them following that law. And what he was saying, uh, what the Judaizers were saying when they came to the Gentiles was that by telling a Jewish person who had grown up in the Jewish traditions and the Jewish law and the Jewish faith, they had to be circumcised to be clean before God, to be righteous before God. They had to follow the laws of Moses. They had to follow the feast. They had to do all these things to stay clean. And so by Paul saying, you don't have to be circumcised. It's, it's a matter of your heart. You don't have to follow these laws. It's a matter of your heart. They were saying Christ is a minister of sin. This thing that we call freedom in Christ, the, the people who had been zealous for the law, the Jewish people who had uh, thousands and thousands of years of cultural and religious uh, faith, now they were being told, if you uh, hold on to that, now you're in sin. You've got to walk away from all of that. That would be, put. look at it this way. I had to kind of think about it in, for myself and my culture and my religious background. So I have uh, some German in my history, some Norwegian and also Mexican descent. I'm sure there's a bunch of others, but those are the ones that I know of primarily. Well, on my Mexican family side, there's a lot of culture there. And I grew up uh, around everybody speaking Spanish. I never learned how to speak Spanish. But everybody around me spoke Spanish, but we still participated in some of the culture. For example, on Christmas Eve, we eat tamales and we play bingo. That's part of my culture, <laughs> my Mexican culture. And, that, and that's not even across. I'm sure not all Mexicans do that. Some of us do. That was my family. Uh, but so if you told me that to come to Christ, I can't eat tamales anymore and I can't play bingo on Christmas Eve, I'd be a little upset. <laughs> I'd be like, why? What? Why, what does that have to do with anything? Why, why does that cultural aspect of who I am have to go away in Christ? And what we're going to see here in a second is that that's not the case. It was the heart of the matter. And we're going to see that Paul actually had, he himself, and I, I promise I'll never do this for anyone, Paul himself circumcised Timothy. He performed the circumcision on Timothy. And you can see that in Acts 15. We're not going to read it, but that's in Acts 15. It says Saul, or Paul circumcises Timothy. Later on in Acts, it says Paul cleanses himself to go into the temple. And it seems like this contradiction, but we're going to look at that in a minute on why this was possible. This is a complicated and messy ordeal. And we're going we're gonna to see how that plays into our lives today. The same thing goes for our religious background. You may have a religious background in Catholicism. You may have been a Mormon. You may have been a Baptist. You may have been a Church of Christ or whatever else. You may have come from a family who had no faith at all. Whatever that background is, we have things that are drilled into us that are a part of our faith. For me as a child, like, like my grandparents, when they uh, first came to Christ and what my mother grew up in, um, and then part of that came to us, they couldn't play cards, any card game. It didn't matter if you were gambling or not. Just any game that dealt with a deck of cards was evil. 
you couldn't watch any TV or any movies. It was just, you just don't do that. You couldn't drink alcohol at all. It didn't matter if you got drunk or not. You just don't drink. You don't go to dances. You don't smoke. And you don't hang around anybody who does any of these things. All these things were our religious laws. Now, if in Christ, if in my new creation, when I come to Christ, if out of my love for him, I just decide I'm not going to do these things and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to read my Bible and every day just because I want to get closer to Christ and he's doing that work in my life. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. None of the things that I just mentioned are sins. The Bible doesn't say if you don't do these things, you're living in sin. But it also doesn't say if you do these things, you're living in sin. So, so we're talking about these religious laws, cultural laws, and, and then we're going to even talk about good works, what the Bible calls good works. They're different from the other two things. So what Paul is saying is, and it just never really occurred to me, I wish I'd have had this much say done while, while Akiva was here last week, because I would have loved to talk to him personally about this. But basically what it, what it appeared to the Jews as they were being taught Christ and coming to Christ, is you have to leave everything. You have to give up your entire culture. You have to give up your entire history, everything you ever believed, uh, every uh, you know holiday, every festival, everything you were ever part of, the fact that every generation since you can go back was circumcised, you're not going to do that anymore. Uh, all of these things that were just part of who they were, in their mind they're like, we have to give all these things up. The truth is, if they wanted to, they had the freedom in Christ to do it. It's not part of salvation. It's not required. At the same time, if they wanted to, they could continue to walk in those things and look at those things in the light of Christ. The festivals in the light of Christ look different than they did before. Passover has a whole new meaning in Christ than it did before. Everything that they did has a new meaning in Christ. But what Paul's saying is you're not just saying... We're going to continue walking in some of these things. You're saying it's Christ plus this. If the Gentile doesn't get circumcised, if the Gentile doesn't follow Mosaic law, then they're not saved. And that's not true. And they also couldn't go to the Jew and say, if you don't do all these things still like we used to, you're not saved. That's not true. But there's nothing in and of itself. And that's why, like... I was in study, in deep study in Galatians and kept seeing these references to those verses in Acts. And I was like, well, I'll get to that later. And just kept studying Acts and thought, well, I'll get to these other verses later. And so I'm so in Galatians and just this freedom, you know, that it's talking about and, and following God and not the law. And, and, but it does get into the works and these things. But I'm just looking at what Paul's saying. And then I go to Acts and I see him circumcising Timothy and going to cleanse himself in the temple. And it's like, how is that different? From Cephas and these guys eating with the Jews. You know, it's like, what's the difference? What was the heart? And so look with me at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 20. Paul says, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. So I've read this scripture lots of times in my life and it always sounded fairly simple. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're whatever you need to be to whoever to win them to Christ. But think about this and we're going to talk about how messy this was in their day and how messy it still is in our day. So imagine that scripture, applying it in your life. And, you know, we talked about somebody being called out in a group and how uncomfortable that is. Okay, so I'm going to describe a group for you this morning. You are in the presence of a Pharisee who is not following Christ. He's followed the Jewish law his whole life. He's a zealot after God's law. Then this guy is a Jewish convert in Christ, but he's still figuring out this freedom and following the law and and, and getting that new interpretation of how you look at the law in the light of Christ. This guy is a Gentile sinner who has not come to Christ. And then we have a Gentile convert who believes in Christ. These are the four guys in front of you. What do you do? If you live under the law for the Jew to reach the Jew, you're going to offend these three guys. If you live this guy to show him the freedom, you're going to offend these two guys. If you try to reach the Gentile Christian, explain this other, you're going to offend these three. You can't win. And the point is, is it's complicated. And so what I, what I went to, and, and that goes back to what Peter was seeing in the heart of Cephas and the other disciples. They had a heart of separation. They had a heart of tying these laws back to salvation, Christ plus. It wasn't just that they were doing it to reach these guys, to bring them to this new understanding. They were stepping away from that truth back into the law and saying it had to be Christ plus. What Paul was doing in Acts, when I, like I said, I was so into that Galatians that I saw that and I was just like, what's he doing? How would this look to these other groups by him going and following these laws and circumcising Timothy? But he was doing what he said. I'm in a in Galatia. He was following them. He, he was being one witness. But those other acts happen in Jerusalem, around the temple, around Jews. And he's ministering to Jews. And with Timothy, it was pretty clear. He said it wasn't that it was required, but he, Timothy was going to minister to the Jews. They wouldn't have even spoken to him if he hadn't been circumcised and following their rituals and customs. So just to get in the door, that was required. But Timothy and Paul knew, I'm not circumcising you so you'll be acceptable to God. I'm circumcising you so you'll be acceptable to these men. And maybe they'll come to the light and understanding of Christ and be saved through your witness that you wouldn't have the opportunity to do unless you do these things. And so... Now let's bring it to our our current situation, like even here, just at Church of New Covenant. So we talk about who who would we sit with and eat with? Who would we pull away from because they're different than us? Because maybe their culture doesn't line up with our culture. Their religious background doesn't line up with our religious background. Or their appearance doesn't line up with what we're comfortable with. You know, we make these judgments on people and decide who we're going to be with and who we're not. And those are all based on cultural things. The Bible would say that's wrong. We don't make those judgments on those kind of things. 
there are people that the Bible does say, though, that we should pull away from and not eat with. This is in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. It says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. This is Paul again. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? He's talking about people who are of the world, not in Christ, not new creations. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil persons from among you. Okay, so I want to explain something that we deal with now that's a messy situation. And, And you may or may not have thought of this or ever occurred to you. It's something we have had to think a lot about as elders and leaders of the church. So in our body, in this, uh, it would be better to say, in, in this group of people coming in as we worship and we preach the word, there are people who come in who are not saved, who have never heard the word of God. They just may have seen the sign and walked through the door. There's people who may have heard the word a lot, but they've never accepted Christ. Um, then we have people who who have accepted Christ in their new creations. And so we have all these different circumstances. But for someone to be what, the, what this passage is saying, if someone is living in a sin, one of these sins in that list, we're not supposed to associate with them as brothers or sisters in Christ. And we don't do that as a new covenant. That's our, that's our standing. But any one of you could probably, on a given Sunday, look around the room and say, I know so-and-so. And I know how they live, and it's not in line with this word. Well, let me tell you something. We, if, if we have a knowledge of someone living in any of the sins that the Bible calls out, I'm not going to get in anything specific, but if it is anything that the Bible says, this is a lifestyle sin. We're not talking about the works of the law. We're not talking about coming to church three times a week. We're not talking about reading your Bible. Already. We're talking about sin that the Bible clearly calls out as sin. We have had those people come and say, we would like to join your church. We want to be members, covenant members of New Covenant Church. And we have a conversation with those uh, people that is not a comfortable conversation. We say, I'm sorry, but we understand that you're in this lifestyle or you're whatever, whatever the situation may be. That doesn't line up with the word of God. If you had come to Christ and you were a new creation you wouldn't be, there's, and we're going to get into that in a minute, but there's a difference between walking in something and then being this and maybe stumbling. You know, but if you are in an active lifestyle of sin and then say, I'm a believer in right standing with God and I want to join the church, we say, we're sorry. You can't, we can't be, you couldn't be a brother or sister. If you are a brother or sister in Christ and a member of the church, and we find out about one of those things, we will do what it says, the Bible says, and have a meeting with you and say, we understand that you're struggling in this area. 
How can we help you? How can we minister to you and work with you on this? And if they respond and we walk with them in healing, great. If they don't, the Bible says we can't associate with them anymore. You put them out because they know the truth. They know the truth and they've walked away from it. But we have people who, in our uh, judgment, do not and have never known the truth. They're coming here, hopefully, to hear the truth, receive the truth, and be transformed. So for us to talk to one of those people and say, don't come back here anymore until you find Christ and become a new creation and get out of that lifestyle, then come back and you can be with us. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. So that's how messy this situation was. Because some of you may or may not have ever had these thoughts, but we have, I know of at least a couple of conversations that people have come and talked to me about these circumstances, and I've explained this to them, but I don't know that we've ever, you know, said it from up here to everyone. But from your perspective, you may, you don't know that's going on behind the scenes. You just assume, well, I see them sitting here every Sunday, so the church must approve of that lifestyle. Absolutely not. But where else would they go to hear the truth? So that's what Paul was dealing with in these situations, and that's what we continue to deal with today, and it's messy. But one thing that he was not referring to in all of this situation was what the Bible refers to as good works. Good works are like the fruits of the Spirit. It's what we do in Christ. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. You can do that in any culture in the world. Without changing your culture, without changing your identity, without changing what you grew up in, you can love your neighbor as yourself and you can love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and respond to the Holy Spirit in everything that He asks you you to do in any culture. And that's what he was talking about. So Paul makes it abundantly clear that we're not. We also don't earn our justification through any act or work or Mosaic law or the good works. The good works are just the identifying factor that salvation occurred. Because the Bible says when we accept Christ, we are a new creation. All things have, all the old has passed away and all things have become new. If that transformation happened in you, you can't be the old person anymore. It's impossible. The example I used in the early services are our two daughters, uh, Abby and Allison. They're both our children. They're totally different. They are not the same. Anybody who has more than one kid knows this is the truth. Y'all have three that are the same. <laughs> In looks, are they the same in personality? Absolutely not. They're all different. So if, God forbid, we were to lose one of our children to some accident or disease, and we, if we were capable of reproducing another one, or if we adopted another child to take their place, they would not be the same person. They would be different. And when God changes us in our heart, we're that different. We can't be the same. It's not possible. So what we have to look at is if we have no change, if we're still the same person we've always been, then maybe you just were in mental agreement with the fact that Jesus Christ lived. He died on a cross for sins. He was the Son of God. 
And the Bible says the demons believe that and shudder. So we may agree with that, but if it hasn't sunk into where we made him the Lord of our life and became a totally new creation and, our, and nothing in our life has changed, then maybe we need to go back and see if we really accepted him as our Lord and Savior. So what these false teachers were claiming was that not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jewish. Let me repeat that because it's kind of, you have to listen closely. Not all Jewish people are Christians, but all Christians must become Jewish. And Paul was saying, absolutely not. That's been decided. We all met in Acts. God gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. If God didn't require them of it, who are we to? Now, if you want to continue to live in your culture and your heritage, but acknowledge that that has nothing to do with your salvation now, that your salvation is still just through faith in Christ, so be it. But for the people who don't and the cultures who don't, they do not have to become Jewish in culture to be saved. But neither does the Jew have to become Gentile in culture to be saved. So now let's quickly look at the, at the good works that we're talking about. There's two types of works that, that we're going to lay out. One was the works of the law, and that's what we've been talking about. The other one is good works. In Galatians, which we'll get there in a couple of weeks, is talking about the fruits of the Spirit. But we're going to quickly read James chapter 2 in the Amplified Version. Uh, and I would suggest you read the whole chapter sometime if you have time, but we're just going to look at a few verses. Verse 14, What is the benefit, my fellow believers, if someone claims to have faith but has no good works as evidence? Can that kind of faith save him? No, a mere claim of faith is not sufficient. Genuine faith produces good works. But someone may say, you claim to have faith and I have good works. Show me your alleged faith without the works if you can. And I will show you my faith by my works. That is by what I do. Verse 20, but you are willing to recognize, but are you willing to recognize you foolish, spiritually shallow person that faith without good works is useless? Verse 24, you see that a man or a believer is justified by works and not by faith alone. That is by acts of obedience, a born again believer reveals his faith. You're revealing the faith. You're revealing the changed life. It's not that those things save you, but if you have come to that salvation, you have these works to reveal or display your faith. For just as the human body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works of obedience is also dead. This, uh, this last week, one of our founding members of the church, Darl Edwards, passed away and we had a memorial service and his body was present, but his spirit was not. He had gone to be with the Lord and his body had no life in it. And that's what this verse is saying. For you to say that you have faith without works is like me saying the body of Darl Edwards that was here this week was alive. It wasn't. The spirit was gone. And if we have become a new life, a new creation in Christ, the only way we can be alive in that is if we have the spirit of God and the works to show that that happened. Do they save you? Absolutely not. It has nothing to do with that. But if you have been saved, your life has changed because you're a new creation. 
Everything old is gone and everything is made new. So a story, a story that I came across, um, there was a gentleman who had been a Christian for a long time and he went to Israel like Pastor Daryl and Connie. And uh, it was the first time in his life to travel to Israel. He was, I think, like in his 70s or 80s. And he came to uh, Gethsemane where, where Christ was crucified. And he wanted to go up to it. And the guy was like, well, you're really not supposed to go up there. And he was like, please take me up there. And this was many years ago. So I don't know if they let you go up there now or not. But um, so he guides him up and, and leads him up the hill. And then he bows down on his knees. And the guy is kind of seeing if everything's okay. And he touches his shoulder and he says, have you been here before? And the man looks up to him and he says, yes, 2,000 years ago. He understood that he had been crucified with Christ. And that was the end of himself. I want you to picture something. What does this crucified with Christ mean? What does it look like? One, if we were crucified, you can't do it yourself. You may have heard of this before, but you could, if I was free, I could nail my feet. As painful as that would be, I could nail them to a cross and then I could. Well, actually, you couldn't even do the other hand because you wouldn't be able to hold the nail. (laughs) So that would be as far as you could get (laughs) is your feet. You can't crucify yourself. It takes someone else. And that's the work that God does. That's why it is a supernatural work from start to finish. We can't do it by ourselves. It's by his grace alone. But once we are crucified, once we have said we're crucified with Christ and we ask, what does that mean? A man or a woman on a cross can only face in one direction. You can't look back. You can only look forward. You can only look to Christ. You can only look to the Father and and look forward. You can't look back at anything that happened before. You're solely focused forward. The second thing is you can't go back. You can't go anywhere for that matter. You're stuck. You're crucified. Your flesh can do nothing. Your flesh is hours away from being dead. However long this process is going to take, that's all you can do. And finally, you can't have any plans for the future on your own. You're not going to plan for what you're going to do next week. You're not going to plan what's coming up. You're not going to plan what you're going to do at work or with your kids or anything. Your life is over. Your life is over. If we are crucified with Christ, our old life is over. It's over. You can't go back. You can't go back. You can only look forward. But it doesn't end in death. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ 2,000 years ago, like the man said. And now I am made alive, resurrected, Given a new life. The old life is gone. The new life has come. And that's all you got. There's nothing else left. We're in a new life. And that's what Paul's saying. If you have come into this new life, you can't go back. You can't walk in the sin. You can't live that life and say, I'm, I'm a brother or sister in Christ. If you have made that change, if Christ has changed you, you are a new creation and your life starts to reflect that. 
It's step by step. He convicts us of different areas. I promise you, Candy can validate and verify, I am not without sin or mistake. I'm, I'm clean before God because He's justified me, but I continue to make mistakes. I continue to stumble. But there's not an area in my life where I am walking in a sin that the Bible calls out and says, we are not to do this. And I'm just walking in that and saying, you know what? Jesus is going to take care of it in the end. It's all good. He's okay with this. I can live any way I want. The Bible says over and over and over, that is absolutely not the gospel of Christ. That's not how this works. Do we make mistakes? Do we fall? Yes. And we get back up again and we look forward because we've been crucified with Christ and now we're alive in Him, a total new creation. The only thing in our future when we're crucifying ourselves with Christ is death. But thanks to God and Christ's sacrifice, we are raised to life again, a new life. And if we are what we have always been, we are not Christians, because a Christian is a new creation. The crucified life is a life of faith, trusting in the sufficiency of Christ to live his life through me. Since it is a new life, if I see no change in my life, there is a cause to question whether I have truly been crucified with Christ. We live it by faith, not in any works of the law or even good works, but by putting our faith in Christ Jesus. But we have to understand that faith isn't just a mental agreement with historical facts. It's a complete trust and a complete surrender to Jesus Christ. It's the total acceptance of all that He said, of all that He offered, and of all that He is. Faith means having a reliance or dependence on totally. The Christian lives by continually depending on Christ, by yielding to Him, by allowing Christ to live His life in us. This makes the believer's rule of life Christ and not the law. It is not a matter of striving, but of trusting. We live a holy life, not out of fear of punishment, but out of love to the Son of God. It's the love that changes us. If He loved us to do all those things and we've accepted Him and He's given us a new life and we've changed and we've totally abandoned ourselves to Him, we're going to be different. You can't live the other life anymore. It's not possible. And that's the life that He calls us to, to live every day as an example, as an ambassador of Christ. That Christ, It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Let Him live. He'll do it. He promises He will. And it's grace at the beginning, it's grace in the middle, and it'll be grace in the end. As long as in our heart we know that we're not putting our faith in our works, we're not putting our faith in our culture, we're not putting our faith in anything but Christ. All my faith is in Christ. Bow with me as we close. Dearly Father, we just thank You. We thank You for the work that You've done in Christ Jesus. We thank you that it's all done. You've called us to live in a new life, but you gave us the new life. By grace, by your mercy, Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise. And Father, I just pray, if there is anyone here this morning, if there's anyone here this morning who has not made you the Lord of their life, 
who has put every ounce of their faith, every ounce of their hope, everything that they are, their total reliance, their total trust in you and only you, that this morning through your Holy Spirit that you would call them to you and that they would hear your voice and come to you like never before to rely only on you. We give you all praise and honor in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.